Now you can hear me. So, some of us were here emptying out the attic and other parts yesterday. Thank you for everyone who made that a wonderful, fun day. Wasn't that fun? (laughs) So, we're paying for it today. Second thing I want... You know, I could get used to this. What do you think? It won't work because I walk all over the place. You know that. I'm a mover. I'm a mover. Those of you in the front row, bad choice. Because I keep, I keep moving up like this. So, uh, if you have a bulletin, th- this is embarrassing for a person who prides themselves on uh, spelling, which I'm pretty good at, but I had a typo, and uh, spell check doesn't help you on words that look exactly the same, you know what I mean? So the second point down, a peek into history was supposed to be a peek. Although the event is kind of a peak, so I, can, I could lie to you and tell you I meant that, but I didn't, so I'm going to be honest. Is that okay? All right. I had a reaction from last week, so I need this really cranked up, this video clip. I, need, I want to show you something. It has something to, be, uh, to do with how I felt after last Sunday. You want it for yourself? Rumor Baggins! Do not take me for some conjurer of cheap tricks. I am not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. Aww. You want it for yourself? Yeah, let's watch it again. No, do it, do it, do it. (laughs) Too late, huh? Do not take me for some conjurer of cheap tricks. I am not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. (laughs) Oh, I like the end too there. That's good. Which, uh, Which characters do you identify with in Lord of the Rings? Are you a hobbit? Some of us are, right? Give me some tea and crumpets. I'll hide in my little... And uh, maybe your Bilbo Baggins. I relate to Gandalf because I'm gray. Gandalf the gray. But I love that scene. Here's why I did that. I'm up here last week and I'm preaching. I was preaching kind of hard for me. I glance over at a friend of mine and... um, (laughs) I said, I probably am sounding a little ferocious... And uh, he goes, hmm. So I felt like Gandalf there. Bilbo Baggins. Don't take me for some cheap conjurer. You know, I'm trying to help you. And that really was my motive. I'm trying to help you. So I'm waiting for the congregation to go, oh. I can tell that's going to happen. All right. So. This morning, I want to talk about the indispensable requirement. We've been talking for two weeks about, um, actually, lessons in leadership. Now what do I do? (laughs) Let me see if I can get the first one up. How come it keeps doing that? Let me try it again. (laughs) 
Somebody's messing. No, they're trying to fix me now. Nobody's there except one, one um, brother, Jimmy, is back there trying to make this behave. Yes! Thank you, Jimmy. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. Thank you so much. That was perfect. Indispensable requirements. The reason I have a little asterisk there is a very wonderful spiritual leader who's with the Lord now, J. Oswald Sanders, wrote this book, Spiritual Leadership. If anybody's ever studied a, a spiritual leadership, you should have this in your arsenal. Even though it's older, it is excellent and uh, an excellent text. He was director of what was originally um, the China Inland Mission, founded by Hudson Taylor. Eventually became OMS, I think it was called, and he took over that. And somewhere in the process, he wrote this book. One of the chapters in here is titled The Indispensable Requirement. I stole the title, so I had to apologize to J. Oswald Sanders. So I wanted to uh, use that clip just to tell you how I was kind of feeling. I knew I was kind of intense. I do get intense on the subject. Sometimes I get intense about the Bible and Jesus and all that religious fanatic stuff, you know. But um, I am trying to help. I wasn't trying to be ferocious. It was interesting to me, however, that in the feedback that I got after last Sunday, I got more positive feedback on my ferocious sermon than I've gotten in four years. Seriously. I don't know why, but I'm glad. That was good. I did have one concern expressed uh, with what I was saying didn't want it understood. Is he leaving? No. I, I think I'm, I tried to make it clear. I know I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Um, right about here, I think. <laughs> right where I'm supposed to be. So I just wanted to make that clear. We're talking about spiritual leadership, and it does imply a certain thing that is very unpopular in our culture, an issue called Authority. Ooh, ow. Listen, um, oh, they're not here today, but um, small groups. We were looking for other uh, materials to feed our small groups. And there's a little series done by a brother named Larry Kreider, whose ministry is House to House Publications. They Dove Christian Fellowship is an internet networked group of churches that are building small groups and cell groups and seeing people come to faith down in the Lancaster area. Of course, uh, you know, it's kind of a nice neighborhood, right? But Larry Kreider writes this one, one article. There's a series of them called, What About Authority and Accountability? Oh, my goodness. Let me read two things. One, the back of the book says this. How to respond to leadership and other believers God places in your lives. Now, let me read that again. I didn't... How to respond to leadership and other believers God places in your lives. I just taught a new member class this morning. I mentioned we don't do Christianity very well on our own. Somewhere along the line, Pastor John needs somebody to speak life into his life, right? To speak into his life. We all need it. Some of us don't think so, but we're wrong. We do need that. We really do. Here's an interesting thing about authority. It's a, it's an, it just really is fascinating to me how far we've come. One of the disadvantages of living too long is that you see all kinds of cultural changes. And I have seen all kinds of cultural changes. Uh, 
Here's an article written way back by a guy named Charles Moore in The Third Way. I've read this one other time, but I think it, it's fitting to share it again. This is actually a sidebar, just a sidebar leading into where I'm going. Adults under authority, it's called the authority hangover. Authority and dictatorship are not the same thing. Let me repeat that. Authority and dictatorship are not the same thing. I do believe our cultural wreckage is partly because we've thrown off all forms of authority because we don't like the damage that's been done by dictators. There's confusion about spiritual authority, shepherds. There's confusion about parental authority because of being dominated or abused or whatever it might happen to be. Women uh, have been harmed and damaged by husbands who've been tyrants. And so the value of headship has been thrown out the window. There's something there for us to be blessed by that we're missing. So that's my commentary on it. But here's this man's. Authority and dictatorship are not the same thing. All of us need authority. We need the authority of law, the authority of parents, the authority of teachers. And this doesn't mean blind obedience. That's what we're confused about. Doesn't mean blind obedience. We need guidance. We are children. In the eyes of God, we are children. It's very important that in organized society that we are adults making free choices, but we should have the humility to recognize that we are in many respects children. I'm a child of God. God's still disciplining me. Anybody else? Yes, Pastor John. He is. We had a great party in the 60s and thereafter over the destruction of authority. (laughs) And now we've got the hangover. I love the way he says that. In the 90s, this is where he's writing, we know that we've got something wrong. We're pessimistic. The 60s were very silly in many ways, but it was optimistic. Now we know that we have overthrown authority and we wish we hadn't, but we don't quite know how to reestablish it. And that well said, we don't quite know how to reestablish it. Well, one thing's for sure, if you're going to have spiritual leadership in a church, you've got to establish trust for starters. And some of us have had, and, and this is one of our problems, I think, as I've been trying to move our assembly forward in, in building, rebuilding leadership, there's a hesitancy, if you will. Maybe it's because there's been some damage done. Maybe we've been wounded. Maybe trust has been eroded or whatever it might happen to be. And I know it's not all a maybe. Thank you. I understand that. But somewhere along the line, we need God to help us to rebuild and move ahead. So today what I want to talk about I think will be helpful for those who may aspire or for us as a congregation to move in that direction. And maybe it will be helpful for every one of us in terms of some self-examination for what is the indispensable requirement. That really should be on all of us, whether we're leaders or not. Because every one of us is leading somewhere. Did you know that? Every one of us is leading somewhere in our life. It might only be the neighbor kid who's watching me. But something is under my influence somewhere. So, let's look for a few minutes at a couple of things. One, the, um, and, and let me just say... Uh, it's, been, it's been kind of encouraging to see some good things, some new people coming, 
leaning in about membership is one thing. Seeing us rally yesterday to work our tails off and get something done was fun. We always have fun doing stuff like that. We really do. Uh, we get tired, but it was fun. It really is cool. And I've had some time uh, recently hanging out with newer, younger disciples. And I want to tell you, interacting with young people who are serious about following Jesus makes me a little crazy in a good way. I love it. It breathes life into me. It really does breathe life into me. And it will breathe life into you as well. Number one. We want to look at the primary picture. If you, have, if you are a note taker, I'm going to encourage you, if you have trouble following me or my notes, don't feel bad. My wife can't follow me. She takes lots of notes. She's amazing. She always speaks life to me later, reading back stuff. You know, that she, she can't follow my, the way I think. So, uh, you know what? You're in good company. But uh, try to grab a few things, if you possibly can. First thing is a primary picture. We want to see the primary picture of spiritual leadership as it's revealed in the scripture. And this really isn't a secret. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he's visiting with his disciples before he's about to commission them, leave them with the Great Commission. They're the ones that are going to plant the kingdom people on the planet. He's going home till he comes back again. And by the way, we do believe he's coming back again. And some mornings we say, I wish it was today. But in the meantime, he's doing something, and it's fun to be part of it. The primary, primary principle, the primary picture is shown here. The 12 summoned the car. Whoa, how did we get? This is driving me crazy here. Ah, okay. I'm sorry. There's a, look at him. I like this video clip, so I'm going to watch it. Can I keep going forward now? Will it? Yeah, okay. Wow. That, that's not it. Okay, I don't know where it went. Let me just read it to you. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. Anybody recognize this? Okay. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. Jesus says to the guy who's kind of the ringleader, Peter. By the way, if you know anything about Peter, you may have noticed he was not perfect. He had some flaws. He tended to be a little, he was more ferocious than me and Gandalf. On occasion, right? Out comes his sword. I'll take the guy's ear off. Jesus says, would you stop this, please? Yeah, Peter, Peter had, you know, he wasn't perfect. But God is saying, lead my team here, and you guys are going to do these two jobs. Tend my sheep, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep, feed my lambs. He doesn't say, I want you to build a glass cathedral. He doesn't say, I want you to invent fantastic fundraising programs. He didn't say, I want you to be able to come up with great, exciting programs that the neighbors will say, woohoo! That might work and that might be okay, but the primary assignment was what? Shepherd my sheep. David, the end of one of the Psalms, 
He shepherded his people with skillful hands. That's God's description of a man after his own heart. Shepherd my sheep. Two words that are used. One is Bosco. Anybody remember Bosco chocolate mix? You're old. Anyway, uh, Bosco. You mix it up. And uh, that's the exact, that's the word only with a K, Bosco. To feed, to tend animals, if you will. And the second word is poimaino, which is the word that is used to describe pastors and teachers that we looked at last week. A pastor, one who shepherds, who tends sheep. So feed and tend. Sidebar comment. Have you ever been around sheep for real? You know, we know about it in pictures. Welcome back, by the way, Rachel. Thanks for singing. You ever been around sheep? Oh, they're fun. People say they're just dumb sheep. They're really not dumb. They're scared. Not that any of us are ever fearful or scared. Are you all here? Everybody here? Okay. I'm talking about you, right? We're, <laughs> we're fearful and scared sometimes, right? Sometimes we're scared to, to tell somebody that what they're doing is wrong, if, especially when it's affecting us. How many of you like to swallow it more than deal with it, right? Anybody? Know? You know what I mean. Then you get frustrated and you get grumpy about it. And then your wife says to you, it's time to have a meeting. Okay. But we're fearful, right? Not dumb, fearful. But the sheep... Around shepherds, I had a family in my church that had a farm and they had sheep. And so I got up-close illustrations. And once in a while they misbehave too. But uh, they know their master's voice. They didn't know who I was. I'd walk into the pen and they're like, you know, backing off. And they sound pretty much like that. And then Sue would come out. Sue goes in. Come on. They run right over. Boy, am I hurt, you know? So much fun. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Professor Malfers, who's written a lot of church leadership books, mentions that that primary job of shepherds, pastors, is to lead, protect, and teach. Lead, protect, and teach. That's called feeding, right? But here's the trick. When my friend Sue would let out the sheep into the grazing land, she didn't grab them by the scruff of the neck and shove their face down in the grass and say, eat. See, I love this. Oh, I have to leave, Pastor, because I'm not being fed. Really? It's not our job to shove it down your throat. It's not our job to open your mouth and force feed. Your job, as I lay it out, it's your job to eat it. It's your job to take it in and go, aha, what does this mean for me? How do I apply this? Is there something here that the Spirit is saying for my life? Which is why, and this is another sidebar, why when I visit other churches and, and I listen to a pastor who may not be the most exciting preacher I've ever heard, I go asking God, is there something here for me? You know why? Because God is sovereign. He doesn't care whether he's a better or worse preacher than me. He doesn't care. God doesn't care. He can still take something completely from 
the spirit might have dropped something into the guy's head that he said, and all of a sudden I get convicted. I hate when God does stuff like that, but he does. I go expecting some kind of feeding. Holy Spirit, speak into my life. I, I, I have been trying to work this issue in, in uh, mentoring and group and what have you that just sitting and listening to data is not a deed of righteousness. You're not serving God doing that per se. It is a sense that we serve God by coming to worship and hear the word of God. It is an act of worship, but I need to take what I learn and make sure it gets down into my shoe leather. That's the job that I have, right? So the sheep are tended. They're led to places where they can feed. It's their job to eat. Enough of that, right? Thank you, small group leaders and teachers with kids downstairs, whatever role you're fulfilling, that is part of the job of shepherding Jesus' sheep. So thank you. We have hope for future co-shepherds, elders, but for now, with our process, the way it's been working, you've noticed that there are a couple of names for deacon in the bulletin. And we have two, and we're going to add two, and we're going to have some very clean, clear instruction so that we can lead the congregation together. So that brings me to the peak into history, P-E-E-K, into history, all right? And this is the passage there. The 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, anybody remember this? I don't want to read the whole thing. If we were to turn to the passage in the book of Acts, well, actually, I'll leave that up there. You'll recognize it when I get to it. Let me just read this to you. The church was flourishing. You know, it started out with that wonderful two to 3,000 conversions on the day of Pentecost, and it kept growing. Now, at this time, while the church was growing, Acts chapter 6, the disciples were increasing in number. You get that? Disciples were increasing in number. A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, but select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit, full of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word." So there's a conflict. Yes, this exciting community filled with the Spirit, growing like crazy, and trouble arises. Can you imagine? Can you imagine trouble in a church? Nah. Yes. And you can't, you can't say, oh, that church was full of terrible toxicity. This is one of the healthiest situations you could have found on the planet, right? People trying to live by kingdom principles. But even in that mix, something happens. We'll unpack it in a minute. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas. There's some names for your grandkids if you need them. A proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And many of the priests even were coming to the faith. In other words, they solved the problem and the kingdom kept expanding. The church kept growing. It was a glitch. They got over it and whoo! Isn't that cool? 
Oh, man, I want to see that kind of thing happen. Woohoo! I get a little excited about that, right? So here's, here's, I want to leave this up for a second. Look, the 12, that's, who are the 12? The apostles, right? A.K.A. in our context, the elders of the church summoned the congregation of disciples and said, hey, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Now, what? What does that mean, not desirable? This is like low-class work that we don't do. I know it does. So, let me explain where the word actually comes from, if I may. So, may I take your order, sir? Yes, um, you stay here. I will get your cheesy little niblets. And uh, after all, the French are the best waiters, ne? Not true. You guys don't get out enough. That was Johnny English, man. Come on. Anyway, I thought you would like that, but you didn't. Okay, so. The point is, that is exactly what that word means, to serve tables, to wait on tables. The word diakonias, diakonia, deacon, recognize the name, deacon, is the word to wait on tables. That's the root of it. But the application meant to be a servant, which was more broad than just waiting on tables. When the apostles said it's not desirable, he's not saying this is beneath us. Listen, in ministry, you do all kinds of things that uh, you wouldn't normally want to do. You know what I mean? My wife and I met at a camp working with limited children and cleaned all kinds of things that I wouldn't have thought that was part of ministry, but by golly, it surely was. And it's good for you. What? You have a picture on your phone of me in the dumpster. Thank you so much. Domo arigato. As if uh, you're going to say, can we work this out? Or what is the point? Uh, Yeah, I was in the dumpster shoveling stuff so that we could get as much in there as we possibly could. That's what I mean. That's exactly right. It's not below me. Actually, it was above me. I had to climb up and get in. But it's not below me. And I said I was the one that, well, then someone else would have had to get in there. That's the whole point. It wasn't below. The word there is, it's not beautiful. It's not... Have you ever heard the expression, good things are the enemy of the best things? You ever heard that? Well, now you have. Good things, good activities. And by the way, what I see of American Christianity, this happens to us. We're occupied with so many good things that are the enemy of the best things. The kingdom... The impact that we can have for Jesus is set aside because we're wrapped up with lots of good things. They're not bad. You know, it's a good thing. That's what they're saying there. It's not the best call for us to take time out from preaching the word where all these people are coming to faith and we're discipling these people to do something that someone else can do. And so, pick out some people who can handle it. And resolve the problem. Let me read something from Mr. Kreider. Actually, there were four of them. Larry Kreider, Ron Meyer, uh, Steve, Prokop, uh, Steve P., and Brian Souter. They're all, uh, in fact, we had Brian Souter speak up at our church up north when we were training for small groups. Just a great group. In his book on the role of elders in the church, Larry Kreider, I think, 
put this part in. The problem of food distribution, which prompted the need for deacons in the early church, did not just require mature people who were willing to serve. Deacons certainly were not just those who could uh, move furniture, bake a cake, or make soup, or perform some other physical task. That's what they were doing, but where do you get the implication? I love the way he fleshes this out here. They were full of the spirit and wisdom and faith, inner character qualifications like being blameless, not greedy, of honest report, not being double-minded, were necessary to get the job accomplished. Why were these things important? Here it is. It seems that more was at stake than simply distributing food. The problem in the Jerusalem church was not just to get nutritious baskets of food to widows. The real reason the Greek widows were not being given food was because they were considered second-class citizens. No. That happens in churches? Grecian Jews felt ostracized, started complaining about the problem. So the deacons really, listen, they had to be wise men who could deal with the prejudices of the day and the bad attitudes that came with it. Uh Uh-oh. Deacons needed to be courageous individuals who were not afraid to lead by making wise and godly decisions in times of crisis. Can you picture it? Here, you know, here's tension. They've been feeding each other. It's like the food pantry in full bore, right? And certain people are like, why are we being treated like this? And there's something going on with you. Oh, I don't really like those kind of people, so I don't want... And a deacon has to come and say, sister, if, if that's what you feel, maybe I'm going to quote somebody famous. You need to sort yourself out. <laughs> you need to sort yourself out. Or you need to step aside for now until you can so those guys had to be really gracious but corrective shepherds. Even though they're deacons, they're helping shepherd this situation. Are you with me? So that's what's going on there. Kind of a fun passage, right? And uh, it's debatable whether that was the foundation of the deacons, but not to me it wasn't. It's pretty obvious from my chair. But some people like to be sticklers about that. So, they summed the congregation, they brought it to solution. And now, as a result, the congregation grows. So, what were they looking at primarily, or what was the most necessary thing? The next point is a pertinent need. Where I got my title, Sanders' chapter on the fullness of the Spirit in a person's life. Here's what the scripture says. Select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation. That does not mean perfect. Nobody's perfect, all right? I already mentioned that Peter wasn't perfect. None of them were, and none of us are. But the reputation means I would notice that this person is seeking to follow Jesus. It's as simple as that. He's seeking to follow Jesus. But full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we may put in charge of this task. In other words, they're not afraid to lead. They've got some intellectual, uh, what's the word, emotional, what what do you call that? Emotional intelligence and interacting with people to help them and coach them along and get past the issue. That's all. Hey, let's do this. Let's make this work together. And they have that spirit, but they are under the control of the Holy Spirit. If you read the story of the deacons, 
I named one of my sons after Stephen, the one who was the first martyr in the New Testament there, in the book of Acts, and Philip. Both of these deacons go out and start preaching the gospel. One of them's doing miracles. So not to put any pressure on you deacons, but uh, I want some miracles around here next year, right? So, uh, I mean, literally, that's what happens. And uh, phenomenal uh, manifestation of their continued growth and moving on in kingdom work. I've had a picture in my mind. Once in a while, I get these pictures in my mind. Some pictures I won't tell you that I get in my mind. But thank you so much. But the one I'm thinking of right now, I, I shared it with a, with a small group the other day, and, and um, I said, it's probably not a positive, but everybody's reaction to it was positive. So try to read through it in the right way. You ever go to the airport with big planes, you know, big jets? I lived down in Queens when I was a kid, Coney Island, and the Rockaways was nearby, and the planes going in and out of JFK went right over. There was a place on the sand you could pull off and just watch these things come. They looked like they were going to hit you, you know, just coming down. They were so close, just a little bit higher than the ceiling. You could hit them with a rock if you wanted to. That's how close. The, the, The wind, the the draft that follows that. You know what I'm talking about. So if you ever watch a jet taking off, everything that's loose on the... Now, I use the word debris. It's a bad word. But all the debris on the runway goes... You didn't hear me. It goes... You follow? And... Don't think of the debris as negative. Think of it as positive things. I've had this picture in my mind. A while back, I mentioned everything rises and falls on leaders, how they lead. That if we can get leaders moving ahead and manifesting what we're about to talk about, that it'll... (laughs) The rest of the congregation just... (laughs) Pulling us along. Oh, that's how you do that. That's how, you, that's how you intercept that unhealthy behavior. That's how you reinforce what is encouraging. That's how you speak life to other people. I can do that. I uh, meet with Mr. Barry in the school almost weekly. So a while back, it was in our bulletin. I'm going to put it in again down a few months few weeks out somewhere I'll be putting it out again you know the nine rules of respect does anybody remember that the nine rules of respect and uh, I'll put that in the bulletin but the whole point he said I took this thing and he's handing it out to the teachers because you know even in a school once in a while in a Christian school there arises a conflict among the Hellenistic Jews and the I mean you know what I mean you get what I'm saying And so he's handing out, here's the nine rules of respect. If you have a problem with me, come to me. Not to somebody else. You see, if a deacon or an elder models that when people are saying things they shouldn't be saying, and can I just encourage you, this probably isn't the time to have this discussion. (gasps) That's how you do that. (gasps) I can do that. They might get mad at me. Yes. Oh, well. But they don't. That's the problem. 
So there are times the Holy Spirit will check you and say, this isn't my place. I, I really can't speak into this. Like somebody's picking on me, I'm not going to be the one to go and say, you mean stop picking on me. I need somebody else to rebuke them. So it's not about me, because it's not about me. It's about sinning or doing righteousness, one or the other. So helping us grow to model true community. A couple, how many weeks ago did you preach, Tim? Two weeks? Yeah, three. Well, sometime soon, back, Tim preached. There was one bullet in his sermon that kind of riveted. This is what I'm talking about, how things get your attention. There was one bullet in his sermon that kind of riveted into my head. It was the word change. Change. Do you understand? Changing is normal. Everything changes, right? But if, if you're growing, you have to be changing. I am so glad I changed from where I started as a new Christian. I was not very pretty. I'm not saying I'm very pretty now. Although, I will say, my wife says I've gotten better looking in my old age. And looking at my old pictures, I agree with her completely. At least I can hide behind a beard now. But anyhow, the point is, where I started was pretty ugly. I had a lot of anger issues and hostility. I come from a broken home. I hated my father's guts, and I didn't even know it. And some of us are sitting here carrying that kind of stuff and don't even know it. But if you don't get into the mode of change, you're never going to unwrap it. Because God wants you to change. He wants spiritual formation to happen. For you to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. Let me just read a couple of things. I, I, I have said this a long time ago. I keep looking for fat people. I do. Fat people. Faithful, available, teachable. If you don't take anything else home, why don't you write that down? Faithful, available, teachable. All three. You need all three. Faithful, available, teachable. There are people that are available, not very teachable. There are people that are available... They might be more faithful, but not teachable. You see what I'm saying? People might be teachable, but they're not here. They're not available. Go down the line. You get the idea. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, J. Oswald Sanders says in his chapter, the indispensable requirement, which I stole from my title, the Holy Spirit does not take control of any person, any body of men against their will. He doesn't take over against your will. He won't force you to obey him, per se. When he sees elected to positions of leadership men who lack spiritual fitness to cooperate with him, he quietly withdraws and leaves them to implement their own policy according to their own standards. But without his aid, the inevitable issue is an unspiritual administration. This is why I get dogmatic about it. I want people who are at least taking seriously their walk with Jesus. Because those are the ones I want to be led by. People who think they've arrived, they have nothing else to learn, dangerous. Dangerous. Don't know how to put it, really. 
It should be noted that each of the interventions of the Spirit has had an objective of bringing gospel to other people. I'm going to bring up an old sermon. Somebody I think you know, Trevor Nauta, preached a, a message here just before I got here, a few years before I got here. I just recently listened to it. And, and there's a good point to what he said relating to what Mr. Sanders said. The Spirit is in the business of making us like Jesus so that we can win the rest of his sheep who belong to him that are not yet in the fold. Reduced to its simplest terms, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Do you need to roll on the floor? Do you have to speak in tongues? Do you have to have some kind of exceptional experience? Are those ever true? Yes, they are. Sometimes they are. But is that what's necessary? Here it is. Reduced to its simplest terms, Sanders says, to be filled with the Spirit means that through voluntary surrender and in response to appropriating faith, the human personality is filled, mastered, controlled by the Holy Spirit. The very word filled supports that meaning. The idea is not of something being poured into an empty vessel. That's how we think. We think like, oh, here's a glass. We fill it up. Then it's filled. That's not the picture. It has to do more with the control that it has. The very word fill supports the meaning. That which takes possession of the mind is said to fill it, said Thayer, the great lexicographer. That means a dictionary, Greek dictionary, right? The usage of the word is found in Luke. They were filled with fear. In John 16, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Their fear and sorrow possess them to the exclusion of other emotions. Does that, do you understand what that's saying? So, I was so filled with fear, there was no room for courage. I was so filled with sorrow, there was no room for joy. You get it? That's the idea of being filled. So, being filled with the Spirit, no room for the flesh. To push me around. That is what the Holy Spirit does when we invite him to fill us. It's not some big secret. It's an availability. And you can see it when people are growing and you see the lights coming on and the Holy Spirit is is wooing them and working with them and illumining them. Have you ever been in the middle of a conversation and had the Holy Spirit say, shut up? Right in the middle of it. Yeah, it is, especially for preachers. It's terrifying, and it's shut up. Okay. Well, what, what, what else were you going to say? I don't know. I'm not allowed to talk right now. <laughs> no, you don't do that. You just Actually, some of you have heard me say it. I'll say, I'm going to hold that. I'm being checked. The Holy Spirit is checking me. You know what I mean? Checking me. See, if you're having that experience once in a while, maybe your pattern is... Allowing yourself to be filled with the Spirit. Be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by it. Keep it up. Expect more. The issue of spiritual formation, there's a whole book, there's lots of books written, and people get nervous about it. They think we're talking sometimes about Catholic mysticism and all kinds of strange things. Spiritual formation is simply becoming like Jesus. I don't know how, it's, it's really what our old timers would say, sanctification. Anybody here know what justification is? Right? Justification is, some, some of you, anybody here know what justification is? Anybody? Hello? Talk. Hello? Anybody? Okay. I must be ticking people off or something. I don't know. 
Justification is the thing that God does to us, for us, when we become Christians. He declares us just, righteous, because the righteousness of Jesus is placed on us. We're justified, right? Even though we were sinful, Jesus has rescued us and given us life eternal. The next word goes with it, sanctification. Anybody want to guess what that is? Yeah, becoming holy. We're sanctified positionally, but we're also starting a journey of being sanctified, made holy experientially. And that's what spiritual formation really is. So a guy named Mel Lawrence wrote a book, The Dynamics of Spiritual Formation. He said, the ministry of the church is nothing less than the business of soul shaping. Though people attending church rarely seek so much and we frequently settle offering far less. Do you remember John Ortberg's book I quoted from a few times, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Him? Remember that one? No, no, The Life You've Always Wanted. That was the one where um, Cranky Hank or whatever his name, you know, he's been a Christian for 15, 20 years, and he's still as crotchety and cranky as when he first got saved. Saved. There were no emergency meetings in the church. Why this happened? This is terrible. What happened? It's like a train getting derailed. What happened? Because often we don't push. Do we want to move on and become more like him? So here's a simple definition. Spiritual formation is the progressive patterning of a person's inner and outer life according to the image of Christ through intentional means of spiritual growth. We're going to talk about grace in the weeks ahead, and one of the topics will be the means of grace. What is available to you from God that helps you become more and more like Jesus? It's here. I can use it. I need to pick it up and eat it, if you will. And so it's available. And it doesn't matter to me whether you're going super fast or whether you're struggling slow. I don't care. I just like to see something going forward, some kind of growth, okay? When I was a punk last year, uh, no... I was in seminary, and I was working alongside a guy who kind of mentored me. Uh, he was a lot of fun. And uh, he had been a New York City police officer for six years and went off into ministry. And I was kind of a sidekick in this country church that had some real brokenness. And there was a man, and uh, I'm sure he's probably with the Lord now, so anybody listening by podcast won't have a lawsuit against me, so... Name was Brinkerhoff. I know there's a name like that. This was out in the West, so it's not the same as some of the names over across the Hudson. But he was a deacon, and he was so out of order spiritually, so unhealthy, that uh, finally my friend Ed had to say, you know what, you have no business being a deacon in this church. I'm going to have to remove you from leadership. And in that church, deacons would have been like elders, you know, because depending on your church, they, they flex a little, the titles. His reaction, of course, was incredibly godly. <laughs> if I can't be a deacon in this church, I'm going to go home. And he stormed out. So my guess would be Ed made the right call. What do you think? It's disqualified. There should be some manifestation of teachability, faithfulness, availability, some willingness to grow and become like our master. So I have a few uh, housekeeping points 
toward the end here. I'm going to close out. There's a great book written, Generation to Generation, written by a rabbi that basically says, what's most important in family systems is that the leader be clear more than compassionate. I like being compassionate. I like people who think I'm a nice pastor and I, you know, help heal up your wounds and things like that. And by the way, I've done a lot of that. It's fun. I love it. But also that we be clear. So there's some direction where we need to go as a congregation. I've been speaking into this. And perhaps some of our wounds and past history have affected how willing we are to move ahead. I'm just being blunt. From my chair, trying to reinstitute leadership has been a kind of an uphill push. It really has. And uh, maybe it's because we're afraid. I don't know. Um, Maybe being a deacon or an elder in the church from the past history was not a popular place. Uh, you know what I mean? Depending on how you've seen people treated back and forth. Maybe being under spiritual leadership has not been a popular place because you were handled roughly or abused. And I'm not accusing anyone because I'm not in this room today. I'm not thinking of anything in particular. I just know it happens. One of the things that makes me craziest is when New believers who I see the love of Jesus growing in them, even though they still have some of their trappings from coming out of the world, when they are mistreated, discounted, and abused because, well, they're just not up to our standard, that makes me crazy. And I don't mean I just go crazy. I mean it makes me angry. So I know that there are some things that have gone on at times and maybe still go on, and I may have to owe you an apology for not doing more of the nine rules of respect and visiting the issue directly. But I just want you to know that as it comes across my desk from this point on, I'm going to be talking to people if we do things like that, if we blow it, if we're hurting one another and causing any holding back of the kingdom environment that God wants for us, I'm going to say so. Unless the Spirit prompts me to go pester you, I'm not going to pester you because you come to church here and you've got your private life and you've got your little secret sins and you don't want anybody to know about that and nobody does know and I don't know. Okay. Keep coming, listening to the Word. Hopefully the Holy Spirit will tackle you one of these days. That's fine. But unless the Spirit sends me to you directly, I'm probably not going to do it. But when we have impact on our brothers and sisters, that's when something has to be done. And I'm going to tell you, this is one of our besetting sins as a congregation. I understand how we got here. I get it. I have compassion on you, especially people who've been on the receiving end of being mistreated. I know people have said to me, since I've been here, I won't do that because I've done it, and then someone else comes in and slaps me on the wrist. It's like, that's not the way to do things as a body of Christ. Talk to each other. Don't boss each other around. Talk to each other. Okay, nobody listens to me, but you all listen to Rainer, right? <laughs> so Rainer put out a thing about nine common types of church cowards. And a lot of it really has to do more with, I think, bullying than cowardice. But it can be the same thing, but not always. Like the, I, I'll just read you some of the titles. The I love you but hypocrite. You like that one? 
You ever get that? Do you ever brace yourself when someone comes to you? Know, you know, Mike, I love you, but... Okay, fasten your seatbelt. You know what's coming. I'm going to have a sleepless night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it's hard, you know, with... Cons- anyway. But... I love... Did you all hear that? I love you, but, B-U-T-T. Anyway, (laughs) the anonymous letter writer. That's one of the most hateful things. I told you, I won't read them. They just go in the trash. And so if you're sending me something nice to uplift me, don't not sign it, because guess where it's going? Sorry, I'm so cold. Um, The apps, oh, that, now I'm going to skip that one. I'm just reading a couple. Here's a good one. I like this one. The delegating demanders. Their pattern is consistent. They have a problem or criticism. They go to someone else, and then it's that person's problem to fix it. I get that. I get that. And it's like, no, you go back and fix it. Huh? Yep. So he opened his article with this. And can I just say, I feel this way here. I love you people. I'm, I'm Gandalf here, all right? I'm Gandalf. I'm not trying to beat you up today. I'm trying to help you. Now you go, oh, Gandalf, Gandalf. I love that repentance scene. Oh. Did you get that? You know, he was trying to keep the ring. You all know? Anyway, go watch the movie. It's so much fun. Anyway, so he starts with this. Let me state it positively. Over 95% of church members are supportive and encouraging. It's a small cluster, maybe 5 or 10%, that make life sometimes unhealthy and even toxic in congregations. It doesn't have to be. But they'll keep doing it unless we speak up, right? Here's the last bullet. The silence is golden groupies. Unfortunately, in many churches, these members are not often the exception to the 95% statement I made above. 95% really good folks. Too many members, far beyond the 5% problem, Remain silent when they see unfair criticisms, bullying, and other toxic behavior. Hey, isn't Jesus' kingdom at stake here? Isn't it more important than whether Mr. Brinkerhoff is going to break down crying and run out of the meeting? Or someone's going to get mad at me because I had the gall to tell them that cussing out their brother was wrong? Isn't the kingdom more important than that? I think it is. But I am going to say, I have patience and I understand how we get here because this isn't the only congregation that wrestles with this or Rainer wouldn't be writing this kind of stuff, which goes out to thousands of churches around the country, right? But there's hope. We can lay hold of, seek after that pertinent need the necessary, indispensable requirement to walk in the Spirit. And if I step in it, this is what's fun about it. If I step in it, I just stop and go, Brian, I I was really short with you yesterday at at the food pantry. You know, you threw that meatloaf at me and I was not happy. And I told, I just dressed you down. Would you forgive me for that? And then we'll move on. We'll move on. He didn't throw it at me. He put it under my seat when I sat down. 
Trevor Nauta, when he preached here, was talking about the children of Israel. They get the promised land, they're living there, and then they start getting oppressed by their enemies. Why did it happen? And he made a very simple statement. They forgot their primary reason for being there. The primary reason for being here is to preach the good news, see us become like Jesus, and get as many other people winsomely dragged in here as we possibly can. We forget that. Then we start being territorial and controlling and argumentative and everything else because we all want it our way. But it's bigger than us, right? It's a lot bigger than us. So let me encourage you today. You may be somewhere in your spiritual life, and I never hear much. It's kind of an odd thing. I'm here to help you. Mr. Gandalf, I'm here to help you. If you're stuck, come talk to me. If you're seeing somebody else being wounded and you feel like you're not the person that can't intervene, come and talk to one of our shepherds. But don't just let it keep happening. We have a great and glorious gospel of grace that forgives and cleanses and purges and helps us reset the dial and start over. And it's a liberating thing when I can talk to somebody that I know I've wounded and I know I have their forgiveness and we move on. There's a great thing on the nine rules of respect. There's extra comments at the bottom. One of them is we have a talk. We realize we misunderstood each other. And then when we're all done, we're done talking. I say, are we done? I love that. Is there anything else you want to say to me? Say it now. And then, are we done? Which means, if we're done, I don't expect to hear later that you're still mad at me. We're done! And we move on. Doesn't mean we're always all the best of friends, but it does mean we're part of a grace community. We have a requirement upon us, the indispensable requirement to start changing into the nature of Jesus. And all of God's people said... Amen and amen. Let's stand together as we close. So glad you were here today. Hopefully it was helpful whether you're planning to be a deacon or an elder or the pope. It was still helpful to you, and I hope so. Let's pray together. Are you, are you applying for that? Is that what you're telling me? Okay. Thanks for your people, God. Thank you that we are we're exactly what we started talking about. We are your sheep. We're not, we're not dumb. We talk about dumb sheep, but that's not really true. We're fearful, and we're fragile, and we make mistakes, and sheep get out in the wrong places, and the shepherd has to drag them back. And he's got to pull the nettles out of our fur, and he's got to repair our broken legs, and got to make sure that we're fed and all of that. But, Lord, we are your sheep, and we do have a gracious Savior and shepherd who can make us like him. So help us be like that, we pray. We'll bless you and thank you for every step forward that your little ones take in this next week and in the year ahead. In Jesus' name and for his name's sake, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.